is crystal clear. Romans chapter 1, verse 26 and 28. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. God's word is clear on this subject of homosexuality. This is not an alternate lifestyle. This does not equate with a heterosexual relationship. Homosexuality should not be granted the same status as a heterosexual relationship. It is, in effect, a a spiritual illness, a mental illness that does great damage, that causes incredible destruction to that person, to their families, and to many others. Both homosexual and lesbian relationships are condemned in the Bible. God only approves of monogamous heterosexual relationships inside the bonds of marriage. All other sexual relationships, both heterosexual and homosexual, are a sin and are condemned as such. Homosexuality is a sin. It is not right to be supportive of this Just like it would not be right to support a drunk in their drunkenness, it is not right to support someone in this sinful perversion. The Bible speaks strongly against this sin in Romans chapter 1, Leviticus chapter 18, Deuteronomy chapter 23. The Bible is not ambiguous about it. The Bible is, this is not a gray area in the Bible. The Bible is very black and white. It's crystal clear. Just as it is not right to be supportive of someone in this sin, It is equally not right to not try to minister to those suffering from this sin. We cannot accept or condone the sin of same-sex attraction, but we need to be ready and willing to minister to those in bondage of this sin with a spirit of Christian love and welcome them into our churches so they can hear the Word of God, so they can hear the gospel, so the Lord Jesus Christ can change them from the inside out. Romans 1, 27 again. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. God only approves of monogamous heterosexual relationships in marriage. God condemns adultery both before and during marriage. Homosexuality and lesbianism is called vile affections in Romans one twenty six. Romans one twenty six says that they are against nature. These affections are against nature. They are not natural. Verse 26 says they are against nature. Verse 27 tells us the precursor of this sin is lust. Burned in their lust one toward another. The Bible says homosexuality is a sin. It is a learned, chosen, and unnatural sinful behavior, which the Bible and our laws refer to as sodomy. Deuteronomy 23.17 says, There shall be no more whore of the daughters of Israel, nor sodomite of the sons of Israel. Leviticus 18.22, Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is abomination. And in Romans 1.32, it says that they which commit such things are worthy of death. Now, until December of 1973, I was born in December of 1973. And in our country, until December of 1973, the American 
Psychiatric Association's Diagnostic Manual listed homosexuality as a mental disorder. In December of 1973, under extreme pressure from gay rights groups, the board of the APA voted to remove it from the manual, not because they no longer thought it was a mental illness or a mental disorder, but under extreme political pressure. They made a politically correct vote. They still believed to be, most of them still believed to be a mental disorder, but they caved to the pressure. The board of the APA voted to remove it from the manual. God's principles of righteousness have remained the same throughout the years. For example, adultery and murder have always and will always be condemned by God. Likewise, the sin of homosexuality has always and will always be condemned as sin by God. It doesn't matter if someone portrays themselves as a minister, dresses up as a minister, and tries to twist the scripture and lie about what God says, and blaspheme God's name, and blaspheme God's word, to try to support homosexuality and try to support transgenderism. It doesn't matter what that man says or other men like him say. God's word has always condemned it, and God's word will always condemn it because it's sin. Now, those churches that seem now to accept the same-sex attraction as e- equally as they accept heterosexual relationships have gone after another gospel, the Bible tells us. They've been led away by false teachers. They have believed they lie instead of the truth. God does not change. God does not change. God says he changes not. God's principles of righteousness do not change. May those who profess Jesus Christ as their Savior never bow to political correctness, never bow to societal pressures, never bow to the dictates of government when they contradict the Bible. And may they always stubbornly adhere to the principles and teachings of God as supreme. Romans one twenty five, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. That's what these churches are doing. That's what these so-called ministers are doing. They are changing the truth of God into a lie. And they worship and serve the creature more than the creator God. Now, Reverend Billy Graham stated this, We've tried calling sin errors or mistakes or poor judgment, but sin itself has stayed the same. Sin is sin. Now let's look at a Christian perspective on same-sex attraction. Ephesians 4.15 But speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ. The practice and acceptance of same-sex relationships has become very prevalent and even mainstream in our society and even in churches. You're hearing all the time of new people of groups, of churches, and denominations announcing their acceptance of this sin as normal. So what should a Christian do or say, or how should a Christian act or react in light of these developments in our society? First, and most importantly, we need as Christians to speak the truth of God's word about the sin of homosexuality in love. We need to speak that truth and love to those affected by it and those in bondage to it. Acts 8, to 23 Repent therefore of this thy wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. 
For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. There is no place for a self-righteous better than thou attitude when it comes to dealing with this delicate issue. While we need to stick strongly to the biblical pronouncements against this sin, we need to also seek to proclaim biblical truth with humility and meekness of spirit. Don't turn them off with your attitude. You may be saying what is right, but the sinful attitude you say it in weakens the message. 2 Timothy 2.24-26 And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. Servants of God must not strive, need to be gentle, teaching patience and meekness, instructing those that may come to repentance, meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. We have to handle this issue delicately, but we also must be strong and preach strong and make strong statements condemning this sin as well, because the Bible, it makes strong statements condemning this sin. So we have to balance that. And Dr. James Kennedy said, It does not matter if everyone in the world joins hands and votes unanimously that God's truth is false. It still remains true. It remains true whether I believe it or I don't believe it. God's truth remains truth whether the world now says that truth is false. God's truth remains truth. Speaking the truth in love means we will not make fun of or mock those entrapped by this sin. They are in a weak, vulnerable, and terrible condition spiritually. And the last thing they need is someone making fun of who they consider themselves to be. Mocking the sin of the same-sex attraction does not help those suffering from it and may permanently alienate those to whom you want to minister to. Instead of mocking them and their sin, point them to the one that can help them and show them a path out of this sinful lifestyle. John 14, 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. They need a way out of this sinful lifestyle, this perverted sinful lifestyle that's just affecting them so. We'll point them to Jesus, because Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. We need to be ready to minister to those who have a desire to leave the bondage of their same-sex relationship. We need to be ready to give them the biblical truth when we see an opening. We need to be ready to give them an example of real Christian love and not be like what they have seen from another uh, Baptist church that was infamous in past years that holds up signs and says all kinds of mean and hateful things about those in the clutches of same-sex attraction. We need to be ready to speak accurate biblical truth to them in love. 1 Peter 3.15, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. There is that word again. Give that answer with meekness. You need to be quick to receive those affected by this sin and quick to minister to them, just as Jesus was quick to accept and minister to sinners. You need to work at giving them the help they need to overcome this unbiblical attraction. Galatians 6, 1-2 Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, 
Ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. The Lord will give you victory over this sin if we repent, if we seek his forgiveness, we seek his wisdom, if we walk in his ways. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and verse 11. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, as such were some of you. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Paul was talking to Christians in the church at Corinth when he said some of them used to be homosexuals. Some of them used to be lesbians. God will forgive this sin and help you to get victory over it. Ephesians 3.20 Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, God can give you the victory over this sin. God can see you to the other side of this sin. God can help you resist this sin. You can get the victory from this sin through Jesus Christ, who is the truth and the way. You can get the victory. Others can get the victory. We need to point them to Christ. Now let's consider some changes. New York Times writer Frank Bruni describes what is going on in our society right now in regards to same-sex relationships as a profound social and political revolution. Change is in the air right now. For the Christian, it is not good change. For the homosexual community, it is, it is change they celebrate, like the Supreme Court decision from a few years ago, which made, basically made same-sex marriage legal in the United States of America. Uh, Philippians 3.19 says, Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. So let's examine a couple of necessary changes involving this issue. There needs to be a change of attitude. Many good Christians in their efforts to go against or be against homosexuality, to be against lesbianism, to be against transgenderism, to be against same-sex marriage, have forgotten what they are for. It is wrong to be rude, even in the name of morality. We need to remember we are Christians and are commanded to live out our lives as such. Now, a lot of times that just speaking truth can be called rudeness. A lot of times just speaking truth can be called rudeness. I'm not talking about that. If someone's in a a fire, in in a house that's on fire, and they're offended by telling us they're in a house on fire, well, we're going to tell them they're in a house that's on fire, whether that offends them or not. So just speaking truth and speaking truth boldly is not what I'm talking about. It's going beyond that, intentionally being rude and ridiculing and, and adding insults on top of that. We need to remember we are Christians and are commanded to live out our lives as such. We are commanded to be like Christ, to be reaching out to the sinner in need of a Savior, instead of acting pharisaical to them and judging them about their sin. We are told not to judge. We need to always remember to speak the truth of God's word concerning sexual perversion in love. This does not mean we can't speak strongly against it, but it does mean we need to always remember to love the sinner as we speak against that sin. We need to be seeking ways and opportunities to minister to them 
and demonstrate God's love to them. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So there needs to be a change in attitude. There also needs to be a change of heart. Mark 7.21-23, For from within, out of the heart of man, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. And Jeremiah 17, 9 tells us, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Those living in this sin need a change of heart. They need to reach a point of repentance. They need to turn away from this sin and turn to God. We need to be ready to point them to God and pray for the convicting of the Holy Spirit to work in their lives. Our hearts are vulnerable to Satan's attacks. We need to be vigilant in our own defense of our own hearts. We need to use the tools God has given us to help shield ourselves from the fiery darts of the devil. Everyone needs to be doing all they can to guard themselves against temptation. Ephesians 6, 11-13 But on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Our hearts are culpable. All of our attitudes and actions flow out of our hearts. Our desires, right or wrong, flow out of our heart. This is why you cannot always trust your heart, Jeremiah seventeen nine. You cannot trust that just because you have a certain desire that it becomes right or acceptable to act on it. Just because you have the desire doesn't mean that desire is a holy desire. It doesn't mean that desire is from the Lord. Just because you have a desire does not mean it becomes right to act on that or acceptable to act on that desire. We need to run all of our desires through the unbiased filter of God's word. And if nothing in God's word prohibits our desire from flowing through that filter, then you can pray about it and act on it as God leads. Heart-level honesty in the presence of God postures us for change. Now, change can get pushed back. If you mention a need of change in context of same-sex relationships, you could get some tremendous pushback from those you mention it to. Likely, you will. You could be labeled as homophobic. You'll be told they, they are born that way and that you need to be sensitive because those in this lifestyle have a higher-than-average propensity to suicidal thoughts. And by you stating that there is somehow something wrong in how they are living could cause them to harm themselves. You may be called a bigot or labeled primitive in your thinking. Homosexual professor said there is overwhelming evidence of the alarmingly high levels of depression, substance abuse, dangerous sexual activities, and suicidal Tendencies among those young people who self-identify as gay. This is a statement from a homosexual professor. 
Those with same-sex attraction could be suffering all of this as a result of the unrepented sin in their life and all the feelings of guilt associated with that sin. Sin does not satisfy. Sin does not satisfy whatever that sin may be. Sin always leaves you dissatisfied and wanting more. You will always want just a little more sin, and it will never be enough. It does not fulfill your life. Living in homosexual sin is anything but gay. It's anything but happy. Only God, through the shed blood of his Son, Jesus Christ, can bring true happiness, can bring true joy. True happiness or true joy brought about by our sins being washed away by his shed blood on the cross. Seek his forgiveness, turn to him, and be sure you have accepted him as your Savior. Ephesians 1, 7. In whom we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. It is not intolerant to believe God's word. God is the very epitome of love and inclusion. Christ came and died for all mankind. He died for the very vilest of sinners, and he died for you and me. God so loved us all that he sent his only son to die in our place so that we could have eternal life and live with him in heaven one day. God is love, 1 John 4, 7-10. God loves the sinner, but he does not love their sin. As Christians, we too should love the sinner, but not their sin. You can condemn a sin, but that does not mean you are mistreating the sinner. It can sometimes seem like a bit of a tightrope, trying to balance standing strong against a wicked sin and also at the same time trying to demonstrate God's love toward the sinner and point them to Christ. But if we gain the right knowledge of God's word on this subject, we'll be ready to give those rebukes about sin, along with an answer as to why, and also doing it all seasoned with Christian love. We need to study God's word so we can be defending our faith on the subject of same-sex attraction. 2 Timothy 2.15, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Homosexuality, like we've mentioned, is never approved of in the Bible. It's never approved of in the Bible. Mark 10.7-8, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh, So then they are no more twain, but one flesh. Jesus tells us here that a man and a woman are to enter into a union of marriage and become one flesh. Nowhere will you find Jesus saying anything different or allowing for anything different than one man and one woman being married. There are those who would try to argue that conservative Christian groups who oppose same-sex marriage are archaic, out of touch with the times, and misinterpreting the Bible. They will say that the context of the Bible somehow lends itself to make the verses in the Bible not mean what they actually say and and mean and, and speak, and the words that mean certain things don't actually mean those things. They'll say all that when the Bible says something that's against same-sex marriage and against homosexuality. They will claim because they are so highly intelligent, 
because they're so civilized and enlightened compared to the caveman-like Christians that they somehow know the true intention of the Bible was not to condemn sin. Also, in their enlightened state, they really don't believe in sin. But the Bible is just to be interpreted as a book that encourages people to be the best them that they can be. They'll have an argument ready based on a false interpretation of Scripture. They'll pull as many verses out of context and falsely apply as many verses as possible to try to prove their point and disprove or lower the credibility of what the Bible really says about homosexuality, what it says about immorality, and what it says about same-sex marriage. They will try to tell you the words don't mean what they used to mean, that the Greek definitions are not really what we think they are. They do everything they can to discredit the authority of the Bible on sin, and especially on this issue. We'll examine what the Bible actually says on this subject here. We'll examine some of what those for same-sex marriage say that the Bible says and, and show how they are wrong. The militaristic argumentative style of a lot of those who are pro-gay marriage, pro-transgender, is hard to combat. The substance of their argument, however, is not that hard to combat. But the intensely combative nature of how they state their argument, their rudeness, their closed-mindedness, their intolerance toward us uh, is, is very hard to combat. It's very hard to overcome. That still does not mean we do not try. The Apostle Peter tells us we are to be ready to give that answer, to give that argument in defense of the Bible. He does not list any subjects that are exempt to this command. So we are to be ready to always defend our faith on every subject. That includes the subject of transgenderism, of homosexuality, of lesbianism, of same-sex marriage. That includes all those subjects. So let's look at uh, some few Bible verses. Look at a few Bible verses about the subject. Leviticus 18.22 Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is abomination. Romans 1.26-27 For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lusts one toward another. Men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meat. Then 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, and neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. In 1 Timothy 1, 9-10, Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and the disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. So let's look at what the Bible teaches about homosexuality. So let's look at these passages in the next few moments. We'll look at, at common passages used to try to either support the homosexual agenda or used to try to tear down the traditional and biblical belief on marriage. We'll be comparing and contrasting the points of view and show how the conservative biblical point of view is always the correct one.
So first, Sodom and Gomorrah, they, they bring this up a lot. It's found in, that account is found in Genesis chapter 19, 1 to 13. We know that God destroyed these two cities with fire and brimstone. Those defending the sin of homosexuality will say this judgment was due to gang rape practiced by the Sodomite, and they will say gang rape is wrong whether it is homosexual or heterosexual in nature. In reality, however, in every reference to it in the Bible, homosexuality is condemned. The fact that Jesus did not specifically mention homosexuality by name is not a valid argument in support of it. Prophets would prophesize against things that needed fixing. The stance against the sin of homosexuality in first century Judea was certain, it was strong, and it was known to all. It was not up for debate. All living at this time knew and understood it to be sin. The fact that Jesus did not specifically mention homosexuality is in fact an indication he was in agreement with the societal prohibition against the sin of homosexuality. Now, Levitical prohibitions, this is this this has come up a lot as well. Leviticus 18.22, Leviticus 20.13. Now, these were commands against homosexuality in the Old Testament. Those for homosexuality say these were just commands against ritualistic homosexuality and prostitution. Uh, like that is referred to in 1 Kings 14.24, which says, And there were also sodomites in the land, and they did according to all the abominations of the nations which the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. In reality, though, these Levitical commands were not just against pagan religious practices, but also against the doings of the land, Leviticus 18.3. See, the problem is they are making an interpretation of a verse out of its context. Uh, they're taking that interpretation of the verse out of its context. The Bible tells us we cannot do this. Second Peter 1.20, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of, it, is of any private interpretation. Well, Leviticus chapter 18 is teaching as homosexuality is wrong, both in private practice and in ritualistic usage. It is telling the Israelites to not live as the world around them, but to live clean and separated holy lives unto God. Now, concerning the clear condemnation of homosexuality in Romans 1, 26 to 27, those trying to defend homosexuality will say, acts that which are against nature are not against nature if you are born that way. That's how they try to work around that. This argument is flawed from the get-go. It is based on an improvable assumption that some people are somehow born that way. This has never been proven and will never be proven to be correct. True scientific studies, in fact, in large part have disproven this false assumption. A study of identical twins separated at birth and raised in separate households, different environments and locations, scientifically disproved this theory. In this study, one twin was homosexual, the other twin, in almost all the cases when located, would be heterosexual. The conclusion of this study was that homosexuality may be due to a combination of environmental factors by who or how they were raised, early exposure to sexual acts, and possible early sexual abuse. Now, the definition of Greek words is another way they'll try to explain this away. They're saying these words don't actually mean what, what we think they mean. So the definition of Greek words used in 1 Corinthians 6 and in 1 Timothy 1.10 and 1 Corinthians 6.9. Know ye not? that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God, be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. In First Timothy 1.10, 1 
for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. So the words that they're trying to to redefine are those translated as nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, from 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and then from 1 Timothy 1, 10, for them that defile themselves with mankind. Uh, they are trying to defend the sin of homosexuality, and they'll say these words only refer to temple prostitution, to pedophilia, and, and male rape, and not committed same-sex relationships. The only problem with this defense is a quick look at the true definition of these Greek words as defined in their context in the Bible and in the context of the actual time period and culture of the day. Uh, Paul wrote them, tells us what they mean. Malakas means a young man or boy who may have dressed or acted in an effeminate manner, so a transgender person, and was in a sexually intimate relationship with an older man, and the word arsenokoitis means homosexual relations of any kind. So transgenderism is clearly condemned, and homosexual relationships of any kind are clearly condemned by Paul in 1 Corinthians 6.9 and 1 Timothy 1.10. Now, something else that we brought up is the relationship of David and Jonathan. That's mentioned in 1 Samuel 18, 1 Samuel 20, and 2 Samuel 1. Those promoting homosexuality would say David and Jonathan were more than just friends and had an intimate relationship with each other. The truth about David and Jonathan, though, is they indicate the value of phileo, or friendship love. There is not one indication their relationship is more than just phileo, friendship, love. The Bible does praise and approve of strong, same-sex, platonic, best-friend relationships. It does also, on every mention of homosexual relationships, condemn that sin as vile sin. The Hebrew word translated as love in these verses with David and Jonathan also found in several other verses. It has the meaning of a strong love, a love one is willing to sacrifice things for a true love. Example of other verses containing the same Hebrew word are Deuteronomy 7, 8, but because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, that the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand. So because the Lord loved you, uh, Proverbs ten twelve, hatred stirreth up strifes, but love covereth all sins. The false interpretation of these verses about David and Jonathan is just another example of pulling verses out of their biblical context and trying to twist them and force them to fit into a certain narrative to defend your particular sin you are trying to defend. Many people out there will claim a level of Christianness to give legitimacy to their claims, trying to downplay the biblical stance on the sin of homosexuality and trying to somehow biblically justify and legitimize that sin. Their claims about this, given a little bit of study, given a little bit of study, are easily disproven. The Bible in no way, shape, or form ever approves of eros homosexual physical relations. This fact is indisputable. God never anywhere in the Bible approves of homosexual relationships. Those in favor of the same-sex relationships and same-sex marriage who are looking to try to somehow either legitimize their position or tear down the conservative Christian position will have an argument ready based on a false interpretation of Scripture, based on pulling many verses out of context, 
based on falsely applying as many verses as possible, based on twisting, based on perverting, based on outright lying to try to prove their point and disprove or lower the credibility of what the Bible really says about homosexuality, immorality, transgenderism, and same-sex marriage. In reality, however, in every reference to it in the Bible, homosexuality is condemned. And the fact that Jesus did not specifically mention homosexuality by name is not a valid argument showing he was in support of it. In fact, it proves the exact opposite. It shows he was in support of the Jewish teachings of his day against it. It shows he was in agreement with them. What Leviticus chapter 18 teaches is homosexuality is wrong both in private practice and in ritualistic usage. It is telling the Israelites to not live as the world around them, but to live clean and separated lives, holy lives unto God. Those trying to defend homosexuality will say acts that which are against nature are not against nature if you're born that way, but we've shown scientific studies disprove that argument. That's a flawed argument from the get-go. It's based on an improvable assumption that somehow people are born that way. This has never been proven. Actually, it's been uh, disproven in several studies. So now let's look at homosexuality and marriage. Let's look at homosexuality and marriage. Matthew 10, 7-8, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh, so then they are no more twain but one flesh. Nowhere in the Bible will you find any support for any encouragement of homosexuality or same-sex marriage. In fact, the opposite is true. The Bible condemns homosexuality as sin and, and only teaches one definition of marriage, and that is one man, one woman, for one lifetime. The Bible gives us clear teaching on the subject of marriage and homosexuality. The Bible teaches that marriage is for one man and one woman for one lifetime, and it also teaches us that homosexuality is always wrong in every instance. Society around us would do its best to discredit and argue against what the Bible says about sin, about the sin of homosexuality. They are, in reality, trying to get the convicting agents of sin out of society. If a book is out there that that says what they are doing is sin and wrong, and if there are large groups of people out there who say and believe the same thing, that means they may be wrong or they may actually be living in sin, and, and they can't have that. That is why many on the side of supporting homosexuality are so hate-filled and intolerant to traditional conservative Christian beliefs and teachings on the sin of homosexuality. Those that scream intolerance are the most intolerant people I've ever seen or met. They so bad want it to be normal and accepted. And when it is not considered normal and acceptable by a large group of the population, it greatly upsets them and they may feel their conscience being pricked with the guilt of their sin. So let's look at a few Bible verses about the subject. Matthew nineteen four to 6 And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read? And he which made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. And then Genesis 2.24, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Second Timothy 3.1-4, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, 
blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection. Now let's look at some what the Bible teaches about marriage. Matthew 19, 3-4. The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? Marriage was established and instituted by God at the beginning, period. Marriage was established and instituted by God at the beginning, period. God defined marriage. Man does not get to redefine marriage. God defined marriage. God established marriage. God instituted marriage. God's word is clear on what marriage is. Man does not get to redefine marriage. They may call certain things marriage, but that does not mean they are actually a marriage. Marriage was designed for those created and born as male and female, Matthew 19.4. Marriage is for one man and one woman to come one flesh and to have children, Matthew 19.5. And said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Marriage is a union that God ultimately joins together, not the state. Matthew 19.6, Wherefore they are no more twain, the one flesh, what therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. Notice that, what God hath joined together, not the state, not the government, but what God hath joined together. Man is not to lightly put asunder a marriage. Marriage is supposed to be for a lifetime, Matthew 19.6. The Bible tells us in Malachi that God hates divorce. Malachi 2.16, For the Lord... The God of Israel saith that he hateth putting away. Putting away means divorce. Jesus taught that divorce and remarriage of the innocent party is allowed, but not encouraged, in such cases as fornication. Matthew 5.32, But I say unto you, that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. In Matthew 19.9, Jesus said again, And I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her which is put away, doth commit adultery. So Jesus makes the exception for a divorce to be a biblical divorce. It's for the case of fornication. Paul adds a little bit to that, but Jesus teaches that you can get a divorce, and it will be biblical and not sin, if it's for fornication. Now, sexual relations inside marriage is honorable, but outside of marriage, it is not. Hebrews 13.4, Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. The Bible teaches us to avoid fornication, to let each man have his own wife, and every woman have her own husband. 1 Corinthians 7.1-2, Now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. Other teachings on marriage in the New Testament can be found in the following references, Romans 7, 1-4, 1 Corinthians 7, 3, starting verse 3, Ephesians chapter 5, Colossians chapter 3, 1 Timothy chapter 3, Titus 1, Titus 2, and 1 Peter chapter 3. So in summary, the Bible clearly teaches over and over again that sexual relations outside the bonds of marriage is sin. The Bible also clearly teaches that marriage is a divine institution started by God himself. It is not an institution invented by the state. So therefore, whatever the state says marriage is, if it agrees with the Bible, then the state's right. If it disagrees with the Bible, then the state is wrong. 
So therefore, the state has no authority to alter or change the institution of marriage God established because God established it and God ordained it. For the government or Supreme Court to do so in a way or to try to bring legitimacy to homosexual marriage shows the epitome of foolishness on their part. Proverbs 17.15 He that justifieth the wicked and he that condemneth the just, even they both are abomination to the Lord. Now let's think of that Supreme Court decision. Let's think of these laws in the land. Let's see what God says about doing something like that. Proverbs 17.15 He that justifieth the wicked and he that condemneth the just, even they both are abomination to the Lord. He that justifieth the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. There is not one mention of same-sex marriage in the Bible, though the practice was known to occur among the Gentiles. There is no such thing as same-sex marriage, even though the Supreme Court said there was. This so-called same-sex marriage should not exist. It actually cannot exist, and really does not exist. Something different than marriage, that is called marriage, now exists in our country. Marriage is not, and by definition cannot be, between two people of the same sex. God ordained and established marriage to be between one man and one woman. Because the idea of same-sex marriage is contrary to the Bible, because homosexuality is thoroughly condemned in the Bible, because the teaching of what marriage actually is is crystal clear in the Bible, to condone same-sex marriage in any way, to approve of it in any way, to applaud it or support it in any way, to endorse it in either with words or by our silence on the subject, would be sinful and disloyal to the teachings of the Bible. It would be to rebel against God and his word. It would be terrible to be a Christian and back something that spits in the face of God and what he has established as what marriage is to be. First Samuel fifteen twenty three for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. So how should we conduct ourselves in light of same sex marriage, in light of it being around us, in light of it just everywhere? We cannot let ourselves as Christians be intimidated by the aggressiveness of those who support this sin. The world is upside down and backwards on this subject. It is our responsibility to do everything we can to turn the world right side up again morally on this subject and others. Next, 17.6, And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. The world has been dramatically changed before by Christians doing what they are commanded to do, and that is spreading the gospel to every creature. It has been done once, that means it can be done again. People say Christians warning and preaching against the sin of homosexuality and so-called same-sex marriage and transgenderism is hateful. They'll say it's hate speech. It is, in fact, the opposite. It is love. It is love speech. We are showing our love to those floundering in this sin by shouting a warning to them. The sin of homosexuality destroys. The love of the gospel heals. The love of the gospel warns. The love of the gospel pleads. The love of the gospel stands fast. It does all it can to save those heading to destruction into that eternal fire. It is our responsibility, as we know the truth of the gospel, to sound the alarm about this sin, to be persistent in our defense of biblical marriage. Ezekiel three eighteen to 21 When I say unto the wicked, 
thou shalt surely die, and thou givest him not warning, nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life. The same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Yet if thou warn the wicked, and he turn not from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. Again, when a righteous man doth not turn from his righteousness and commit iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die, because thou hast not given him warning. He shall die in his sin, and his righteousness which he hath done shall not be remembered, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Nevertheless, if thou warn the righteous man, that the righteous sin not, and he doth not sin, he shall surely live, because he is warned. Also thou hast delivered thy soul. We have to also remember and keep in the forefront of our minds that God loves sinners, of which we also are. God sent his only son, Jesus, to die for all sinners, which we are. I am, you are. All are sinners. All sinners, no matter what sin they were involved in, if they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior, will be saved and spend eternity in heaven. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Keep in mind what the Apostle Paul taught us, that God can use those who used to be living in this sin to do great works for him. God not only can save the sinner, he can also redeem the sinner and enable him to do great service for the kingdom of God. There is no such thing as a hopeless sinner. God can and does save homosexuals and all sinners who repent of their sins and turn to him as their Savior. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11 Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So, to wrap up this podcast, God defines homosexuality as sinful wickedness. God also tells us we need to reprove the wicked of their sinful ways, Ephesians 5:11 to 12 and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. We should not be tolerant of sin. We should not be bowing to the altar of diversity. As Christians, we should not be embracing sinful lifestyles and behaviors. Same-sex marriage is totally foreign to the Bible. All mention of same-sex relationships in the Bible is condemned. The sanctity of biblical and true marriage is under attack. Same-sex marriage threatens the very moral fiber of our country. All deviations from God's original intent in the institution of marriage should be opposed. God intended children to be raised by a loving father and a loving mother. Same-sex marriage cannot provide this. Government is another institution established by God. It was originally intended to be for good. Romans 13.4, For he is the minister of God to thee for good. Our own constitution echoes this sentiment, promote the general welfare. For those caught up in the sin of homosexuality, Jesus and his love is the answer to your situation. 
When the Supreme Court ruled in favor of gay marriage, love did not win that day, as so many said it did. Sin won that day. Love did not win that day. Sin won that day. But love could still win in the life of one caught in the sin of homosexuality. Let the love of Christ into your life. Let his true light shine on your life and give you peace and forgiveness from your sins. John 8, 12, then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And if you are caught in that sin, you can have that new beginning in the Lord. You can be forgiven. You can start fresh with the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, starting verse 3, says, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. If you're in that sin, you can be saved out of that sin. You need to understand the gospel. You need to understand that Jesus died for you. You need to understand that you are a sinner, that what you are doing is sin, and you need a Savior. Uh, You need to realize that God loves you, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life, John 3.16. You need to realize that you are a sinner. Everyone is a sinner. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. You need to realize sin has a price that must be paid. Sin must be paid for, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, Romans 6, 23. You need to realize Jesus Christ died for you. Jesus Christ rose again for you. Jesus shed his blood for you. He died and he rose again. He was resurrected. He did all that to pay your sin debt for you. But God committed his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5. Eight, And then simply just pray and ask Jesus Christ to be your Savior, that thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and thou shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved, Romans 10, 9. There is hope for all sinners to be saved. There is hope to recover from this sin. There is hope to get out of this sin. I encourage you to seek Jesus. I encourage you to seek a good, trusted Christian that you know that can help you through this, but just seek Jesus, and and he can help you through this sin. He is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. You want true life, true joy in your life. You want your sins forgiven. Seek the Lord. 